Welcome to the Sacred Window Podcast. My name is Christine Devlinek. The Sacred Window refers to the tender, magical, and remarkable weeks following the birth of a baby. A birth giver is forever changed. Recognizing that this time is too often overlooked and misunderstood in our modern culture, we're setting out to be part of a voice for change and growth. We're growing awareness and broadening the reach of conscious postpartum care. Our podcast features friends and colleagues as interviewers. We're a loving community united by a common passion to change the paradigm of postpartum care to one that honors women, birth givers, babies, and families. We're glad you're here. And I will never be the same. Hi, this is Roshni Kavate. I'm your host on the Sacred Window Studies podcast today, and I'm very excited to be talking to Zaria Wook, a student at Sacred Window Studies and also an entrepreneur, early childhood educator, and a mother of four. Um, Welcome. Hi, how are you? Hi, Roshni. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I'm very good. It's very nice early morning here in Orlando. Yeah, um, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, your life, sort of your journey of where you come from and what you're doing today. Um, I mean, I I just feel like you have so much incredible energy every time I talk to you. You know, not only are you raising four children, you own a business with your husband, you run uh, daycare centers and early childhood centers um, in Cambridge and Florida, and you're also going into postpartum birth work, and you mm-hmm. are writing and teaching. You're just doing a lot. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Any yeah, secrets to your things. energy? <laughs> well, uh, having a good husband who helps you a lot for sure, or maybe train one if you if you don't have it. I think from the very beginning when I had a first baby, I make it made it clear that you know what I've I've carried her for nine months now it's your turn I never changed the diaper I actually never fed with the bottle so that was my agreement with my husband uh, but yeah even though he is very helpful and I felt like I was pretty good at my boundaries and everything postpartum has been a very traumatic experience for me personally you know I had three pregnancies and four children last pregnancy was twins so, but I feel like that has really kind of created the framework and the reason and motivation why I am right now here in sacred studies. Um, I've been observing you guys for the last four years, I believe. I talked to Christine multiple times and now I'm excited to finally, you know, now that my twins are six years old, I can actually focus and uh, change or maybe at least bring more awareness to postpartum window. But yeah, so having four children, I feel like that kind of dictates uh, dictated our direction. We were both musicians before. My husband is a violinist. I'm a musicologist. And when I came to the States back in 2007, my background was administration, um, arts administration in Chamber Music Society back in Boston. And uh, then that's how I met my husband. He had a music school in Cambridge. So we kind of, you know, we're traveling, touring musicians, and then we got pregnant. And uh, that kind of changed trajectory of our lives. We thought we would have a, a small child care center for just our child and we thought we'll have music every day that was our model uh, and then we started a daycare and just took off I felt like that was a very big need in Cambridge Mass and we kind of followed it we uh, built out um, 
uh, over uh, eight or nine centers right now, the COVID, you know, affected, of course, we had to close some of them. Now we are reopening slowly. But this has been for the last 10 years, it's early childhood education. Um, but parallel to that, I've really been very mindful about the adult, not just, okay, the baby and taking care of the baby and rearing the baby, but what's happening with the mother, right? Like that beautiful quote, I really like to say, when the baby is born, so is the mother. And we never really think about that. And um, that's more so now that I'm focusing and actually have that my hormones balance back again, <laughs> I actually can focus. I can think and I can see clearly that really within the, uh, you know, at least in American society, that's where I actually did have uh, my babies. I, I am from Kazakhstan, from Central Asia, and it's very different approach, you know, and having that shock of difference in expectations and reality, you know, coming from Kazakhstan, where moms have three years of maternity, <laughs> and they have mothers and, and your aunts and your cousins come and help. And it's really like practical help, um, and taking care of the baby, taking care actually of you as well, you know, making sure that you're well. And that was my framework and my kind of worldview of pregnancy. And then I come here to the States. And I actually did post uh, yesterday on my social media is that how traumatic it was for me to realize that, you know, three to five days into my postpartum, I actually was expected to go back. We was just building a daycare then. So it was um, a lot of work to do, of course, but it was a shocker to me that, you know, my in-laws, so to speak, at that point uh, were expecting me to come back and actually build out the, the whole building and sand the walls. And I couldn't phantom that. But now that I see and observe more and more, that's pretty much norm uh, within the American culture. Like you're six weeks in, you still probably haven't healed from delivering a baby, but then you're expected to go back and just like bounce back. And yeah, so that's kind of the why I am here today. I'm here on this journey as a postpartum doula and mostly as an educator, just bringing awareness. Now that we do have a daycare centers, we have over 800 parents who brought the students to our, our centers and looking, looking at them back, you know, in Cambridge, Massachusetts, it's Harvard, MIT, Boston College, like all these beautiful universities that attract worldwide students uh, from all countries. I would say like 75 to 80% of the student population are immigrants as well, who sometimes don't have that support either, or maybe they have their parents come and help, but it's very temporary and they, you know, they really don't have that support. And I felt that kind of desire to step in and fill that gap and at least, you know, educate and give them some, some type of words of encouragement, you know, this is gonna, <laughs> this postpartum is hard, but you know, it's gonna, it's gonna end at some point. Yeah, I want to start our discussion there about, you know, um, finding empowerment and autonomy within this beautiful traditional setting, because, you know, postpartum culture has been very traditional. It's very much, you know, centered around your family, where you're from around the world, the food you eat, the practices, you know, so many times that can be mixed with your spiritual and religious practices. It is so deeply personal. But I think what you're talking about, at least in a modern American sense, there is no culture around it, I would say, where mm -hmm. there is a culture, but it, it feels very isolating. Like you said, it, it, mm -hmm. it's not tethered in any culture, right? Um, parents are just sort of like left to fend for themselves. And yeah. there is a lot of richness we can draw from traditional cultures and I think there is mm -hmm. this idea I, I think a lot of people also feel the loss um, 
because yeah. either people are displaced or have moved to the U.S., you know, um, and don't have that connection anymore, um, mm-hmm. either because they're not with their parents or many people don't know, you know, what their culture was like 200 years ago, 300 yeah. years ago. So there is this deep loss. So I'm curious from a very, you know, personal perspective, uh, because you grew up in Kazakhstan and, you know, could really, you know, hold on to so many of the wonderful cultural traditions in in your postpartum window, like what did you practice that were, you know, very classically Kazakh, you know, Kazakh culture um, Mm -hmm. postpartum practices and were like, were your parents involved? Like, how did Mm -hmm. you stay in touch with them? Yeah, totally. So out of the three pregnancies, uh, my parents were able to come to the third when I had twins. I feel like they saw me (laughs) struggling with the two newborn babies. They're like, okay, that's enough. We're going to go and help, uh, which I'm grateful for. And that was where I saw the biggest uh, difference, I guess, uh, how that was processed by them. Uh, my mom came and she would, you know, give me massages. She would wash me in a bathtub. She ch- she treated me like I was baby. And, um, and, you know, she would cook and clean. She would take care of my older kids. And, and I felt like that was, I think that was my biggest realization. So, oh my goodness, you know, there's such a, there, it can be different, right? And it, it should be different. <laughs> so yeah, she would give me massages. She would uh, help me with breastfeeding um, and uh, she would take my, my twins so that I actually can't sleep. She would just say, go ahead and rest. Um, that was like non-negotiable for her. Like you need to rest, you need to take care of yourself so that you can take care of the babies. That was her approach. Um, so I, I know that, I mean, I just saw my mom and I saw my, my mom's friends when I was growing up, just seeing that, you know, when you have a baby, for example, for the first 40 days, you don't even show it to anyone, like whoever comes in like very, very close, uh, like close, uh, circle of your family who can come in like for 40 days, you're like in a cocoon, you are being cared for, you're staying preferably in the dark room. <laughs> so there is no bad eye, you know, so it's just, um, that's how it is here. Like with my oldest one, within like five days, I was shopping at Target, you know, so it's just like, I was kind of going back and forth. Uh, I am an observer as a, a, by nature, I really like to observe what's happening. I like to connect, like to make connection or to compare uh, mentally since I was a child. So I was looking at back and forth at like, what was my experience with my first two, two, two kids and my experience with my with my twins and yeah for 40 days you don't do anything you're being cared for you 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 know your meals are being uh cooked for you your your baby is taken care of like they take it away from you so you can rest um they do you know a lot of uh i think my mom would always say you know you you so that your milk is more fatty you eat a lot of nuts like walnuts so nutrition is very important as well right uh, drinking and i think um, there's different, you know, kind of natural, like not natural, but, um, national foods that mostly, you know, involves meat and broth, uh, bone broth. So it's a kind of, it, it's not necessarily intent intentional, but it's just a part of the diet anyways. So you kind of, you, you drink from that already that's there. So it's not necessarily anything specifically different, but at 40 days, uh, you have like a celebration. I think that's the first time when the baby's nails are cut. And the first time that the baby's hair is cut, I remember what 40 days I was flying to uh, from Boston to Miami with my with my daughter. And my mom called me. She said, Zoe, do you remember today's for 40 days? Don't forget to cut your hair. And I was skeptical. You know, I kind of really didn't pay attention much of tradition. You know, I was um, I became a Christian when I was 18. 
2018. So I was trying to move away from my kind of pagan traditional approach, so to speak. So I didn't really pay attention, but out of respect to my mom, I'm like, okay, I'll just cut it. So I cut it. I remember that morning in Miami, uh, I just cut a little bit of her hair and, and her nails. And it was, like, it was, you know, some, 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 some kind of deep spirituality piece was kind of part of that ritual, even though I didn't make much of it, even though my attitude was different, it kind of brought into realization, you know, this is a new human and I'm caring for her and just kind of hits you differently. And, and I did struggle with the postpartum depression, which again, um, I didn't know what it was. And while I was pregnant, while I was right before going into pregnancy, doctors, you know, OBG would say, you know, you might have baby blues, you might have depression. And I really like just kind of brushed it off. I'm like, no, that's just nonsense. You know, it's, I, I won't have it. So when I did have it, I don't think I realized it um, until I actually was on the other side. And I'm like, no, I think something was different. So it was, it was very lonely. It was very, um, very, very isolating. and. At the same time, you know, I, I was mentioning in my post yesterday, we were building a daycare. We were having a biggest concert uh, in April. I had a birth in December. In April, we had a very big concert. Uh, we called it Exibus World Orchestra at Jordan Hall in Boston. So, like, you, I didn't have much to, you know, to really rest and think and, and actually pay attention to myself. So I kind of was more of an automatic state. And yeah, and when we, uh, when I had a baby, we actually had a series of Christmas concerts. You know, we were full-blown musicians at that point so you kind of you know fulfill your obligations to <laughs> to your to your to your followers or to your uh people who come to your concerts and um, so only i think in june when we finally opened the daycare um and i know you know i, I had a, somebody commenting on my post is that saying you know uh, i remember the same feeling that isolation and overwhelm and just being in the fog but good thing i did have my own business so i could go to to it whenever i could or whatever whenever i felt like i was ready and i was thinking yeah but at the same time well i had my business but sometimes business doesn't mean that it's 9 to 5 it's actually 24/7 so and especially business from ground up that was very very uh very big undertaking i don't know why we threw in the baby into that uh looking back but just it, it unfolded and then we we kind of worked with it but yeah feeling my mom's uh support when she came and just being cared like a baby uh after having twins it completely gave me a different perspective and actually you know opened up her, her you know horizons of what's possible and what's available i'm so glad your mom was able to baby you like you said that's such a beautiful beautiful imagery and you know feed you all these like delicious mm -hmm. foods <laughs> i'm curious like if you can talk about while she was there you know um you being an educator and living in the u.s and you've traveled the world obviously you know how you see the world is probably very different from your mom um you know, who grew up mm -hmm. under very different circumstances, Yes. you know, coming from Kazakhstan and, you know, um, especially just, you know, geopolitically thinking about, you know, the facts of communism and war and all of that. Um, can you talk about like how all of that cultural forces and, um, just your own personal, you know, family dynamics within your own family, like what were the challenges that you navigated um, mm -hmm. within your family context, but also, you know, just for yourself as identity of being a parent mm -hmm. now, you know, things that came up that you were surprised, 
you know, going, wow, like I didn't think, you know, <laughs> something from when I was five or six or things that we just, you know, don't question. Um, mm-hmm. And now you start to question because circumstance, circumstances are so different or culturally things are so different. Yeah, I'm curious, mm-hmm. like, what were some areas of like conflict or just even exploration that came mm-hmm. up for you? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a great question because I know in America right now, for example, it's a very big movement, right? Like bringing traditions into, into American culture, that beautiful community piece and, uh, you know, elders and everything. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm curious, it's not necessarily I'm doubting it or I'm just observing it. And I'm, uh, questions that I have for myself is that, uh, yes, you can bring those traditions and you can bring those beautiful rites of passages and community. Uh, however, it comes with certain, I think, expectations, right? In those communities, especially speaking of my own background, right? You kind of live in a society where you just uh, respect elders no matter what. It just comes automatically. You never question them. You never, you never, never tell anything against what they say. It's just very... Uh, a be- very like obedience and honorable attitude towards your parents, towards your elders, uh, which not so much in America, right? Like it's just really, really interesting to see. So then, yeah, when my my parents, for example, came, came and you know my mom still have that. She's not doing it explicitly, but I know it subconsciously that's what's expected, right? So if I did something different with my babies, if I, you know, I was bringing Montessori parenting into my into my um, in my parenting style with my kids and she would also always say you know what is Montessori I remember Montessori got a very bad rap in uh, Kazakhstan because you know a- any school would just open and call themselves Montessori because you know Montessori is not trade marketed anybody can open at the daycare and call themselves Montessori but there's no necessarily preparation of adult there is no training that was you know done with the teachers so it was just a chaos my mom would come she would teach English and I mean Kazakh in those daycares, childcare centers. And she would see a complete chaos, children, you know, not really listening to adults. It was uh, very, very uh, different from what Montessori actually should be. So she had a very uh, negative experience of that. So when she was talking to me about the Montessori piece specifically, she's like, no, this is just so bad. Uh, You know, you, you should raise your children, you know, making sure they obey you, they listen to you, they respect you. Um, So that was something that, we had a little bit of a discussion and disagreement and, you know, I kind of figured out, you know, that's where my American, so to speak, transformation came in, right. Being here for uh, 12 years or 10, 11 years at that point is like, okay, well, I don't necessarily have to agree with you. I don't, I actually have, can have my own uh, approach. So that I felt was very offensive to my mom. Uh, so that was really interesting to navigate as well and just understanding, well, at some point, what is, what is more important, right? Being right and just really get into my, my own game and just prove that I'm right or just accept my mom who she is. I mean, she was there with maybe a month, two months and just be grateful for where she is and, um, just acknowledge and be grateful and give her that honor that, that my culture requires that's in her blood, (laughs) still subconsciously still there. So I, I was navigating that um, just by observing and exploring what's what's necessarily her need, what is my place. And um, yeah, maybe if we lived in the same country, in the same you know neighborhood, it would have been 
probably it would have looked differently. However, she did notice, you know, my, my second son, I, I think it was, he was like 18 months old and he would just climb the tape, you know, the chairs, he would just sit at the table, like, you know, adult little man, he would ask for his bottle. My mom would fill his bottle. He would grab it. My mom was looking at him was like, oh my goodness, he's so independent. I said, yes, that's what Montessori is. So she kind of converted to Montessori <laughs> after seeing that with my, with my second son. And she's, uh, she loves that. Now she reads my posts on, on Instagram and she's like, this is phenomenal methodology. And approach to the child and just giving them that independence and supporting them when they need but i see that you know a little bit of a difference okay american culture this is who i am right and you know i have my own way and we can just respect um disagree respectfully right and in traditions it's not necessarily so there is just certain certain ways that society in traditional society so to speak is set up and i'm trying to see how can we um bridge that and i think that's why i love that doula piece when you're non-judgmental and you just come in and you just your sole mission so to speak to be in that space is to support the mother whatever she feels intuitively she wants support with no no judging no actually advising but kind of you know helping her uh wake up with her own intuition right and count and confidence and just build that up in the mother instead of trying to help have her dependent on you because in both like in america there is no support there is possibly right there is just that's needed that's just kind of um it's already been proven right that's why we have doulas but even in in my culture i see that uh that space when you actually if you are trying to create your own independent um core and and trust your own intuition and become a mother who you like the one that you want to become based on your values, based on your worldview, not necessarily maybe one that your elderly um, community has. So doula then comes in and just, she doesn't have that expectation of you completely and, you know, completely obeying and listening. So that non-judgmental attitude is kind of covering both, uh, both fronts. So I really appreciate that. And the more I learn and understand the role of the doula, I feel like that's definitely what fits me coming with the Montessori approach it's like you know in the Montessori you, you as much as you can possibly over the years going through the training and preparing yourself spiritually you get rid of all the prejudice that you have about the child all the past experiences that you that might come into and create some of the prejudice and uh or judgments and uh, so I feel like now that I had that for 10 years towards children I can apply as a doula as I come into a mother, I just observe, I reflect, and I support wherever she needs. You know, in the Montessori, the child, we say that the um, child's uh, three to six, they always want to tell you, you know, help me to do it myself. Don't do it for me, uh, but just help me so that I can do it on my own. And I feel like that kind of applies to doula role and the mother, right? I am here so that you actually can do it yourself and kind of transition you into this new phase of your life supporting you and help you and sojourning with you for like six to eight weeks or however long it is. Yeah, I love how you were talking about the difference between empowerment and just sort of like mm -hmm. taking over and deciding what's good for somebody. And I think new parents have so much confusion and fatigue and fear that they mm -hmm. are looking for guidance, but can sometimes feel um, overwhelmed when somebody just sort of takes over or um, even I feel like a lot of education around early childhood is so prescriptive 
you know, there isn't mm-hmm. room for sort of your own discovery and trust building. Everything yeah. sort of, you know, you're being a good parent or a bad parent, you know, no matter like what you believe mm-hmm. in. There's so many like styles or value system. So I love mm-hmm. that, you know, you're talking about engaging and awakening to your own values and to trusting yourself. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious, did you always know like what kind of parent you were or wanted to be? Or was that a discovery? Was there a transformation where you, you know, you went from like, okay, I know what I want to do because this is not what I wanted for my <laughs> own childhood. Um, mm-hmm. Did you catch yourself doing some of the things you, you know, you grew up with and thinking, oh my gosh, like, you know, um, how do I change this? Like, what, what's your mm-hmm. parenting journey been like? And, you know, like, how do you feel like where you are today? Like, what, what was that process mm-hmm. like for you? Yeah, so when we got married, I remember I actually didn't want to have children. <laughs> we had but quite a few conversations with my husband, Christopher, and um, I remember I was saying, you know, I love my life now. I love how we, you know, just travel, we play music, we have concerts. I like this life. I don't really want to have that responsibility that parenting brings, you know, that um, just extra layer of responsibility. I felt like I really didn't want to have children, at least for the next five years. And then we got pregnant a year and a half into it. Um, again, as I was speaking earlier, you know, being uh, converted to Christianity and still living like a very, very strong Christian background. Uh, early, uh, I think early, maybe few months of Arella's um, life when she was born, uh, I still had that, you know, authoritative approach, you know, that uh, I don't know if you know, Dr. James Dobson from whatever uh, parenting radio, that Christian parenting radio that we have. Uh, I felt like it was very aligned, right? You know, don't spare the rod <laughs> so the child wouldn't be, um, you know, spoiled or, you know. So that was kind of what I was aligning myself with, you know, Proverbs or the Bible and just very authoritative. And that's what I was exposed to growing up as well. You know, it's just really authoritative uh, parenting style. And looking at the child, you know, you, you, you feel that's an empty vessel and you have to fill it up and you have to shape it and you have to mold it. That's the language that I've heard and I was agreeing with. And once we opened the daycare, we uh, had many parents come in for open houses, for tours. And, uh, you know, being from Harvard, MIT uh, background, they would always ask, what curriculum would you be using? Because this is the people who are valuing education. And um, we were think we didn't really think much past of music every day. <laughs> so that made us uh, think about the curriculum and approach in education. And... Um, and my husband, he's very you know, smart salesperson. So he would, he would, I'm not even sure how he knew about that, but he would start saying word Montessori. And I, and I noticed everybody who, whoever from China, Germany, France, uh, you know, South America comes in, everybody knows Montessori. And I got intrigued. I'm like, what is this Montessori? So I got this book. Uh, I think it was purple. I believe it was Montessori method book. And I think I read it uh, within possibly three or four days. I was just so, so in, in, engrossed by the uh, methodology of just respect for the child, following the child. And it just made sense to me. It was very contradictory to, to what I grew up, to what I was believing in aligning myself within the Christian community and culture. But it just made sense to me. 
and uh, just the you know the basic basic piece of respecting the child just because he is a human being or she is a human being while you know in christianity and my own i guess upbringing in post-soviet union culture right it's like respect you something deserve is something that you have to earn and here it was something different it was respect that you something it's something that you give and you give some somebody who <laughs> not really deserving like a baby what is there to deserve so that really changed completely 180 degrees of my understanding of child and understanding that child is not an empty vessel they already come it's like a seed right it's just a small seed but everything that the tree needs it's already within that seed and you know another association they people would say it's not uh, you know the drop is the whole ocean in one drop right whatever that beautiful phrase i'm completely botching it now but the 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 point no, is that so child has everything <laughs> yeah, yeah thank you yeah and it's true and as, as i observe like with every child that was kind of practicing more and more montessori and my twins are definitely the so <laughs> the crown of this uh, of this journey i would say you know the more you observe the more you can see oh my goodness they actually are smarter than i am because <laughs> they don't have the baggage they don't have lenses they don't have any like past experiences that can skew their perspective of life and actually i'm learning from them and montessori would say you know child is actually the maker of man and he is our teacher and he is our father because actually from the child we come uh, adults. So those experiences the child has, that hands-on experience that form the intelligence, that form the character, personality, everything, they have to do it themselves. And if we impose it them, we only just create more resentment on their side. Because, you know, if you try to do something and person is just trying to come and tries to do it for you, that's annoying. <laughs> so it's the same with children. Um, or it, that's the biggest thing also is that, um, we don't make our children share. Sharing is caring is very wrong. If they are trying to, if they have their own property, they try to kind of figure out the world and through the experiences and hands-on uh, touching and observing certain certain toy or material, if somebody comes in and want to take it away from them, that's just kind of violation of their boundaries, so to speak. And that's what we teach children, right? Without sharing is caring, like, okay, but then we end up with a bunch of adults who like, do not have any understanding of boundaries, healthy boundaries or how to protect it or even where they are at. So I feel like that's been really, really big for me. So we've been homeschooling uh, my children since 2017, thank God, because then I was prepared for the pandemic. Otherwise I wouldn't been able to do that. I feel like, because uh, you know, coming from not wanting children, now having four, <laughs> it's quite a big of a transformation. So I think that was a little bit of a, uh, of a journey, I would say, you know, coming from not wanting children, then maybe having that Christian authoritative approach, like church pastor, you know, coming from a authority and just imposing it on children to like reading this book and, and just really realizing completely different approach and respectful approach uh, and where you both actually co-creating your own relationship, a trust that's based on trust. Also, trusting child and his or her capacities and leading or guiding them. You're like a coach to a child from the very young age and knowing that they're actually capable and they are pretty smart. So that's kind of transformed my, and as I was uh, mentioning uh, to my friends, is like it's pretty much probably a lazy parenting because for the most part, you have to step back and let them do it which gives you more time to go get a coffee. <laughs> so I feel like that's what really fits my, my temperament right now. And it is, it's a huge work. It's a huge work for adult. It's not necessarily, okay, now I have the tools to 
raise my child. Or now within the childcare, we also Im implement Montessori inspired principles. It's not like, okay, well, this is the curriculum. This is what the child needs to do. No, it's actually the vice versa. It's what you need to not do to let the child to do something that he thinks is right and good for him at this time. But it is a very, very large work. You know, I did training um, Montessori, Montessori teacher training back in Gordon College in 2013. Then I did again in Cambridge, uh, Montessori in Cambridge in 2018. And when I did homeschool my children, it's still your old nature, my old nature or my old conditioning would come through. So it was really, really transforming my own, my own temperament, my own practically, right? Right? Because I knew it in my head. But when you are in the moment and you're observing the child and he's doing something wrong, you kind of I, my, my hands, like by instinct, would go and try to help or try to solve it for them. And I would just, and Mont Maria Montessori practically said in her books, uh, just sit on your hands. If you want to help, just sit on your hands and do not uh, get up. And another trick that she gave, you know, it was, she was a very strong Catholic um, believer. So she gave those ros rosaries, rosary to the teacher. She's like, before you get up and help, you know, count the beads on your rosary to give that. To, it is, I believe, a muscle, right? Just mindfulness of like, okay, I can actually count to extra 10 seconds before I intervene. And in the moment, I actually can observe, can the child resolve that problem or solve that, which they are, they are wired for that to solve their own problems. And they will be more proud of themselves. It builds their self-confidence and self-pride. Okay, I did it. You know, if, you, if you've seen the children when they're very young and they did something on their own, like, I did it. It's just so much joy and it builds that confidence in them. And it's so much better than me coming in and do it for him or for her. So Montessori has been really like last 10 years journey. Now I'm doing master's in Montessori and now I'm trying to find out and within the master program, we do have those that dialogue. How do we bridge uh, Montessori for children to the Montessori for adults? And that really uh, brings into uh, into this kind of framework is my parent parents right within the daycare. That's why I'm developing the parent uh, education program right now within the uh, work study with you guys. And then also non-Montessori educators. Can I reach to them and actually? kind of bring that mission of Montessori inspired. That's not behavior-based, not that Dewey uh, philosophy, but actually development-based, evidence-based as we talk. Um, that's really supporting child development. That's natural and not necessarily behavior. Yeah, and I think you're highlighting how each individual child is so different. And I think as parents and educators, we need to sort of identify, you know, you're kind of sensing who this child may be, mm -hmm. what they need emotionally, like what feels secure to them and how they can sort of come to life. I feel that so much parenting advice and, you know, just ways of parenting, be it, you know, within the US, like European style parenting or more traditional cultural parenting. Um, I think the commonality is so much of it is obedience-based. You know, you look at mm -hmm. uh, public schools, it's, it's very much mm -hmm. that, right? Um, yes. If you are a neurodiverse child or just like, I, I, I call it like cre creative, <laughs> like mm -hmm. being a creative child, um, you have to be shut down, you have to be medicated, you have to be tested um, for yes. something like, mm -hmm. deeply, uh, you know, there's something psychologically wrong with you. But I, I think 
because you, we're not, you know, I think what you're talking about is we can't look at children as this like homogenous um, experience. Like they're not mm-hmm. all meant to reach the same milestones, act the same way, behave the same way, do the same things. And I think yeah. as a society, I can see like, you know, people don't want that because they want something mm-hmm. that's dependable, controllable. And yes. I, I think the minute we have to adapt to a child, you know, and they're changing constantly. Um, yes. That's a lot to ask from parents. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe societally, we don't have support for parents. Um, mm-hmm. So I can empathize with parents struggling. Um, yeah. there, there's just so many layers of, you know, lack of support and protection mm-hmm. for parents and also like lack of educational resources. Um, just from raising your own children, like how, how do you as a parent navigate sort of the fears that come up or even like when you think like, you know, I mean, you are, uh, I guess I, I could call you a childhood expert, but even, you know, <laughs> within that context, do you ever go like, oh my goodness, like, what am I doing? I have no idea what to do with this child in this moment. Like when that happens, um, like, how do you navigate that um, experience within yourself and your child or when you just can't connect with them? How, how do you like come back to your own truth? And because ultimately mm-hmm. I think that's all we have, right? It's that, yeah. like deep trust that you know your child well, you know what they need. Um, hopefully you can read that and, <laughs> you know, offer it to them that's supportive. And yeah. um I, I think for a lot of us, like we didn't get that as children, right? Like yeah, it's just sort yeah. of obedience, like you said, yep. respect mm-hmm. at all costs. Um, mm-hmm. we, we weren't parented according to our unique nervous system. Um, yes, so totally. what, what would you recommend to parents when they're just going, okay, I'm trying this, you know, um, gentle parenting or intuitive, you know, uh, trauma-informed mm-hmm. parenting. I, I want to do this thing right, but, you know, I just can't mm-hmm. connect and I'm so frustrated and those instincts of, you know, maybe you're just frustrated, you're getting angry, like stuff, you know, that just comes up. That's, that's reality. Um, like, how do you take a pause and, you know, get to your center and find mm-hmm. your way back to yourself again? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. That's a good question. So uh, I feel like I start with, with saying that I don't think I'm a, childhood expert in the sense that I know the children because that's um I don't even know myself at times (laughs) so I just feel like just starting from that acceptance of like okay I don't know everything and I don't have to and one days it will you know some days it will be hard some days it will be easy uh and it is a process right so I think first of all just starting with acceptance I don't know everything with what I know and with the information I have, I can start here, but the child is the one who knows. And I'll just trust the child and just observing and reflecting on your own things that come up, uh, which for the most part, when I, you know, when I observed, uh, you know, the, the observation within the Montessori is very, very important. And uh, whenever I observe, especially in the beginning stages of my life, work with my, with my homeschooling children and also in the daycare, when I would go in the centers and observe, for the most part, you end up observing yourself. What prejudice come up? What judgment comes up? What stigma comes up? What cultural, um, I don't know, biases come up within me? 
So first work is always on you. What is it that I need to let go? Second would be probably expectations. So just the expectations, are we like obedience, right? Why the people want obedience and why they want something controllable because it's, it's, um, it's convenient, right? So I feel like another piece is just, okay, am I expecting just this process, building relationship, trust, and moving through life together with the child? Or do I look for some kind of tangible results? But then I will be disappointed because you can't, as you said, children always, as soon as you feel like you figured figured them out, they change. And it's normal because the development of the child is, uh, it's not linear. And Maria Montessori talks a lot about in her writings is that we think of, you know, a child of 12 years old is more intelligent than the five years old, which is not true. Because the word that five years old is doing, you know, acquiring language, uh, refining their movements, uh, finding their balance within the society. They are doing so much more work that we adults do, we don't really realize because we, we rarely have a chance to observe that and actually come to terms of, okay, they're growing their own teeth. <laughs> they're trying to start to walk. That's very big pieces of an accomplishment that uh, require a lot of work. And I remember Monte Gerber would say uh, she is a rise specialist, which is kind of Montessori, but for the babies. And she would, she would uh, once told the dad who was trying to bring his child to a gym, he's like, I really want him to work out and get stronger. He's like, well, why don't you observe your baby and try for an hour, please do what the baby does. And if you think of them rolling, crawling, you know, trying to balance on the fourth, I think it's exhausting for us, <laughs> but we don't realize how much work it is for the child as well and what they are accomplishing. So adjusting expectations, what am I looking for? Like, what is my value? My values just kind of control this baby and control this child or actually letting go and control myself. And my motto as a Montessori mama, as I say on social media, is that I don't, uh, it's in Russian, it sounds different, but basically I don't raise my children, I raise myself. And, you know, there's a big piece of, you know, speaking of inner child, right? And just really that what it comes up because you deal with your own children, you kind of are faced with your own inner child, what the trauma you had, what, uh, what condition you've had, what pain that comes up. And then you just go back and work on it, you know, have mindful practices, have some energy or healing practices, have any, you know, support that you need in the community through that to deal with that. Um, so expectations would be the second one. and. Um, and yeah, the, 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 this development that comes in curves and, and really nonlinear, also understanding that uh, at six years old, the baby, the baby, the child completely changes. At 12 years old, they completely change again. So we are not creating a model of a car that, okay, at some point it's just easy to drive, but it's an individual. It's, it's, a, it's a separate person that has their own life. They will form their own values. They will form their own worldview based on their experiences, like I did or based on mine, no matter how my parents tried to control me, you know, I still had my own life experience. I became a Christian in the atheistic family, you know? So it's like, how much can you control? Actually can nothing except for yourself and practice mindfulness. I think mindfulness has really been really helpful for me within last few years. I just kind of discovered it and the breathing techniques, meditations, and just really going back into, um, trying to understand yourself for the, for the most part, then you probably can understand something about your child. I don't know if that's helpful or comforting. No, that's so helpful because yeah, by the time you're trying to figure out your kid, you know, you don't even know who you are. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think the hardest part sounds like letting go of control and figuring out some trust and this 
communication um, between you and your child where, you know, it seems like there are no words, but there is a mm-hmm. lot you can gather and um, yeah. start to really develop that muscle of intuition, trust, and, you know, taking their lead. Um, it's been a really great conversation. Thank you, Zaria. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess um, on a parting note, uh, we'll wrap up our conversation. I, yeah, I want to like ask you, you know, what is like been the biggest transformation for you, you know, growing up in Kazakhstan, moving to the U.S., having a children. I mean, it just sounds like, you know, your life has turned out to be so differently than maybe you imagined. Mm-hmm. Um, like, is there a part of you that's remained and changed uh, that's, that's still, you know, um, like your values have remained the same? Is there something like deep within you that always like that you carry with you no matter where you are? Um, I'm just curious. Because we feel like mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, we can't recognize ourselves. But I feel like, like you said, the seed, you know, um, that you've yeah. always known is there. And I wonder how people can, like, find that again within themselves. Um, so, yeah, I'll leave you with that question as we wrap up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. I've been actually reflecting about this yesterday, uh, the other day because I have a very good childhood friend. We've been friends for, like, over 30 years now. And... Um, she just opened her first uh, like painting gallery uh, in Helsinki. And as I look back, I remember all the time when we were children, since we were like nine years old, she always liked to draw. And she would always teach me how to draw the, you know, ballerinas or palms on the sunset. So I remember that I was like, how interesting to see that full circle, like that childhood passion now becoming as a business or becoming as a, something that she is doing meaningfully for her community. And I think for me, it's always been self-care. It's always been like, I remember since I was little, I would do different potions and everything for, for skin and, and hair. I would put whatever like eggs and potatoes on my face. And, you know, in Kazakhstan, you don't have those luxury of maybe they do. I mean, they do have it now, but growing up in a post-Soviet Union uh, regime where there's very, very big lack and deficit of everything, uh, you just kind of use your whatever you have in your refrigerator. That was been really, really big thing for me. And now that I am um, trying to come into the dua, I'm trying to think of the ways that I can bring this passion into the world, you know, postpartum caregiving uh, window is that pampering aspect of caring for the mother through beauty and self-care rituals and actually, you know, reminding that this is important. So I think that was the the biggest thing that I kind of carried through and I'm reflecting back and I'm uh, bringing it back, so so to speak, resurrecting after having children and educational um, background but also um, I love to read I think that's also something that I kind of try to protect if I like to read I'll take I'll take time and I'll make make it a priority and I read and and that makes me feel accomplished so to speak you know in motherhood some many times you feel like you're not achieving anything throughout the day (laughs) so I felt if I at least know that I read one you know chapter of the book that I I really I really like that gives me that sense of, okay, grounding, right? I did something for myself. Um, and I just, another thing I feel like is, is the third, I would say, is really knowing my boundaries in the sense that I really never cared for what 
people would say about me or you know I and I see that sometimes it, it is a struggle for <laughs> for other people that I didn't realize but I really never you know gave a damn so to speak to like what people are thinking or what people are expecting of me um I've had this I think I was for the most part was raised by my grandmother in the early ages and my grandma always gave me that 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 freedom and just kind of you know you have your mind of your own and giving that space for me to develop so I felt like that's been really really helpful for me just to know what's right for me and just not trying to find validation not compare myself excuse me with anybody but just like okay this is right for me this is what I'm doing I love that I think that is sort of the greatest gift we can give ourselves is to really not you know factor in any external um, ideas of like who we should be what we should be doing yes um, and you know just feel free to be ourselves and you know be able to just find that comfort to you know be as is um, where can he, people find your work? How can they connect with you? Well, my Instagram is Montessori.mama. It is in Russian though, so but you can translate if you you know if, they, if they're interested to learn more. But I am right now. Uh, I've written Rock and Roll Method, a book that's available on Amazon, but it's mostly for my daycare. But it does talk about of my you know my parent my parenting and the values that I've kind of got from the Montessori approach and observing and reflecting back on my own parenting. So it's called Rock and Roll Method. Um, but yeah, so on social media, it's Zaria Volko, Montessori Mama. Great. Thanks so much, Zaria. It's been Thank such you. a pleasure talking to you. Bye. Same. Thank you. Bye. bring something sacred to your current window of time? What do you have to offer to someone within their sacred window? We honor you for all you give and for who you are. Thank you for listening. The Sacred Window podcast is brought to you by the Center for Sacred Window Studies. You can visit us to find out more about our online training and mentoring programs, plus resources and products for and about the sacred postpartum window at www.sacredwindowstudies.com. Editing of our podcast recordings is done by Sienna Butler, and our music is written and performed by Sarah Emmett. You can hear more of Sarah's music by visiting www.sarahemmett.bandcamp.com.